Great to be together with you guys. I'm super, super excited for God to speak to you guys today because we're going to read from the scriptures. We're going to see what God has to say and hopefully you will be encouraged and inspired to grow in your humility and your hunger for God uh, because that's the goal of today. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he displayed the ultimate example of humility by coming down to this earth to save us from ourselves. Father, I pray that we could hunger for you more and more each and every day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited because I've been married for almost 16 years and also this month I celebrate 18 years in the faith and I'm just grateful that God has kept me around. I honestly am. I'm very thankful for the people that I've met over the years, very grateful for the woman that God has allowed me to marry and I'm grateful for the son that God gave me in Cole. He's 11 years old and he's a bundle of energy. So I'm grateful to be here. I've been... uh, Uh, I was converted in South Florida, moved out to California, went back to South Florida, and in 2008, our family, we moved up here to Georgia. Uh, So very grateful to be here. Um, I I love sports. Uh, I grew up playing sports. Sports played a vital role uh, in my life. It continually does. It played a vital role in my conversion. Uh, Played a lot of sports with the brothers, if you will, from church, uh, all throughout studying scriptures. Uh, Through the years, I've played tons of sports inside the church. It's helped me to grow closer with the brotherhood. It's helped me to open up more, and it's taught me a lot about myself. Sports doesn't necessarily create character. It exposes character, and it's really good to get together with the brothers because my heart gets exposed brothers hearts get exposed and we get closer together and we get closer to Jesus through the process I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, share a quote from Muhammad Ali he said don't count the days make the days count and that's really the overall theme of today of of being humble and being hungry that's the title today that's my first point that's my second point and it's my third point I don't want you guys to forget what today is about it's about growing in humility and growing in our hunger in South Florida there was a minister Jeff Chacon who loved to play sports he raised three boys who are all faithful Christians today and Jeff always had uh, the sports equipment in the back of his of I don't know Jeep or whatever it was and he was always playing sports with the boys and he was always playing sports with us too and I will always remember this one time where we pulled us together before a softball game and Jeff was very competitive and he said hey listen we're gonna go out there and we're gonna be humble that's first and foremost but we're going to be hungry because we don't want to lose this game. And he said, we're going to be humble and we're going to be hungry. And uh, it's just a great, for me, a great recipe to to remember, not just as I was pursuing God and God was pursuing me as a non-Christian, but also as a Christian, God is continually pursuing me and I must continually pursue Him in humility and have hunger for Him. So let's turn on over to Acts chapter 16. As you know, uh, Tom mentioned we're going to study the book of Philippians for these midweek services. And this is about 13 years prior to when the church in Philippi was planted. Paul and Silas and his companions, they were in Philippi. And it's interesting, uh, 13 years prior to the book, because Philippians is an incredible book. It's a prison epistle. You know, Paul obviously was going through a lot of distress, but this letter is known for being the letter of joy. 
Even though he was going through so many challenging circumstances, he had a deep affection for the church in Philippi. And it's interesting because there's two things, as you guys, I want to encourage you guys, as you read through the book of Philippians, and please read through it before you come to midweeks because it's been great for me. I've read it, I don't know, four or five times in the last week, and it's just really been good for these hallmark scriptures to be saturated into your heart. But one thing that helped me as I studied out what was this letter all about, there's two things I just want to give you to think about before you read through the book of Philippians this week. And the first one was the emphasis on social reciprocity. In the Greco-Roman world, there was such a strong emphasis on friendship and relationships with one another. And Paul and the Philippian church shared this incredible bond together. It was a conscious uh, bond, but it was almost contractually, and you can see it through the scriptures, there was an expectation that there was going to be give and take. There was an expectation that there'd be mutual, you'd mutually benefit from one another. You would trade, you would give gifts to one another. You expected it from one another. And, and in the Western world, I don't know that we value friendship like that. I think it's more of what's, what's in it for me, and if it's valuable to me, and it's going to help me out, I'll enter into this. Contractually, sure, as long as I get the benefit. But this is what's interesting, and they also kind of had this idea, your friends are my friends, your enemies, they're also my enemies. And you kind of see that as you read through this book of Philippians. The other part is the letter was written with moral exhortation. And that was when you would write letters, you would dissuade or persuade somebody to act a certain way or to not act and believe a certain way based on personal example. And obviously Paul used Philippians 2, the incredible story of the humility of Jesus and the example of Jesus coming down here, dying on a cross, suffering for you and for me so that we can even have life, life to the full in, in him and have access to God. But he also used his own example. He's like, follow, see anything good in me? Follow it. Follow it. So it was called moral exhortation. Just a couple things that kind of helped me kind of even understand even the book of Philippians a little, um, just a little bit deeper. So Acts 16, what do we have going on here? You know, it's interesting because in Acts 16, before I start, oh, I got a clicker. See how this thing works. Don't point it at the screen, point it at the center. All right, there we go. In Acts 16, what we have first with Paul and his companions, it's interesting how they even got to Philippi because I just kind of summarize here in, in verse 6 through 10, it talks about how the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from preaching and then the Spirit of Jesus redirected him. What's the difference between the Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus? I don't know. He differentiates it right there. But nonetheless, it stopped him from going in the direction he thought he was going to go in. Then he had a dream about this guy in Macedonia and said, man, come on over here and help us on out. And so he concluded from the Holy Spirit stopping him, the Spirit of Jesus stopping him, and this stirring dream that he needed to go to Macedonia. And so that's what he did and he went to the, to the city of Philippi. And so we're going to pick this up because what's incredible, I want to hone in on Lydia. And I want to hone in on the Philippian jailer because this is an incredible story of what happened when there's humility and there's hunger, not only in Lydia, not only in the Philippian jailer, but also in Paul to respond to what God was trying to do through him. So let's pick it up in verse 13 of Acts 16. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the, to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, 
a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I love this because I see humility and I see hunger in Lydia. She was a worshiper of God, yet she was not yet connected through Jesus. And so what happened was that she went out and she was ready. She was hungering. She was ready to receive. And then Paul went out there ready to give what God had given to him. And then it says something interesting that God opened her heart. So many times I have to be reminded, there's nothing inside of me. There really is. God reached down into me, into the slimy pit, and snatched me out of the jaws of Satan. That's what he did for me. And it's important for me to remind myself through scripture, through prayer, that me, left to myself, I was in a cesspool of sin. And it was continually going downhill. And God reached in and he grabbed a hold of me. I'm grateful for that. God opened my heart. God wants to open your heart. But see, Lydia was in a position for that to happen as well. She was hungering for God and that's when she went out there. See, God wants to do miracles on us and God wants to do miracles through us. No matter if you're a 30-year-old Christian, no matter if you're seeking God for the first time, you've been coming out for a few times, you're a newborn Christian, wherever you are, God wants to work on you and God wants to work through you. And the recipe for that is humility and hunger. And we see that in Lydia. And we're going to continue to see that when we read on. You know, I want to share a quick story. Uh, I went to school down in South Florida and I played basketball down there and I'm from New Jersey and it's like, well, why did you go to South Florida? Well, there was really three simple reasons that I went to South Florida. One was I had a scholarship. That's a good reason. Number two, it was Miami. At the time, at 18 years old, I was ready to go to Miami. I wanted to get out of New Jersey. And don't worry about number three, okay? Because I forgot what number three was. But I do know it was probably I wanted to get out of Jersey at the time. But, uh, or I wanted to get out of my house, whatever the reason was. But I wanted to get down, down to the south, obviously. I could have gone to St. Francis of Pennsylvania, University of Hartford. No, let's go down to Miami. And so that's where I went and I was, uh, I was down there and it's interesting because there was a guy, it was like Paul, there was this guy, his name was Kelly Jones and, and God sent him out. He was a Christian on the campus ministry there, in the campus ministry there and he was sent out by God to share the message just like Paul did. And for whatever reason he saw me walking with the basketball team and he was like, that's the guy I'm going to go reach out to. I want to share the truth, the gospel with him. And over seven years, I won't go into it, I avoided this guy like the plague. Every time, I saw him everywhere, and he was always by the library. And I never really went to the library, but I had to walk through the library. <laughs> and as I was walking, I would see him, and he's just, he's out there, and I knew, he's talking to all these people, and I knew what he was talking about. He was talking about Jesus, so I would always go this way, or I would go that way. I would work on my agility just staying away from him. And... <laughs> It's interesting though because over the, literally semester after semester, year after year, Kelly was always there. And I remember graduated, left school, and um, I was at a bookstore. 
and I'm sitting down, I've got my hat down, I'm in the corner because that's typically, you know, the way, you know, just kind of away from everybody. And next thing I know, I see Kelly. And what is he doing? This is in Miami, and he's always at this bookstore, we're like 15 miles from campus. And uh, so I kind of was just sitting there, he came up and said, hey Matt, how you doing? <laughs> I was like, how you doing? And so I, you know, I, I wasn't humble and hungry. I was more, I was more full of pride and full of myself. And uh, what happened was, is he didn't respond to my arrogance. He said, what are you doing Sunday? I said, I'm not going to your church. I know what I'm not doing. But, um, and he was responding, well, why not? You know, and I was like, I, you know, I'm busy. You know, I'm going to my own church. <laughs> so he gave me his number. He said, hey, give me a call if you change your mind. Took his number, threw it in the car. And then about a year later, you know, I was rock bottom emotionally. And I was at the point where I was like, I got to turn myself in. I just don't know where to turn myself into. But you know who I remembered? Kelly. I went back to the bookstore every day for a week, for hours, looking for him. Never found him. God sent Jose and Luis. They reached out to me. I said, I'm in. I'm coming to your church. It was campus and teenagers together in these services. They were lively. It was awesome. And then I actually studied the scriptures, came to know God, came to know Jesus, became a Christian, got baptized, and then all of a sudden, I went to this all-day service and AP is leading songs. You know, this was 18, 16, 18, year, 18 years ago. AP is up there leading songs. And, uh, I said, Kelly must be in this church somewhere. He's got to be. It's got to be the same thing. So I found Kelly. I went up to him. I said, Kelly, how you doing, man? And he's like, Matt, what are you doing here? I said, man, I studied. I'm a Christian. I got baptized. And he's like, who studied with you? <laughs> I think at the time, he was just trying to validate what I was saying. But... But basically, and then and we, we became great friends. He's in San Diego now. This guy is a phenomenal brother. He's in San Diego. Uh, but we, we got really close. He says to me, he said, Matt, I want to tell you something. He said, you know, I saw you walking on campus. And, 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 and I used to come to your basketball games. And I would sit there in the stands. And I'd watch you play. But let me tell you something. I didn't care if you won or lost. I would sit in the stands and I would pray for your soul every single game. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that he never gave up. I appreciate that God never gives up on us. Even when we're knuckleheads, he doesn't give up. And I'm grateful. Let's continue reading because even though that was a miracle and God brought me in and God used a man, he worked through him, God's been working on us each and every day of our lives. And being humble and being hungry, a lot of times, hard times can produce that as well. At least it can produce an opportunity to grow in humility and to grow in our hunger. And we see that as we continue reading. Let's look in verse 16. Oh, I got a clicker. You can follow. Awesome. I can't see up there. So I got to turn around sometimes. Okay, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Don't you want to see that? A reenact, not a reenact, the, the live version. 
One day we'll see that in heaven, I'm sure. We can say, it'll have to be kind of on tape or something, but we'll see it. I want to see what that is. But it says that he became annoyed at her. I'm sure Kelly was annoyed at me. I'm sure he was. And I kind of looked up here, the word annoyed, it also can mean grieved in the Greek. And it means not just to be thoroughly worn out by what she was doing and perhaps distracting what Paul was trying to do and kind of spread the word of God and the words of Jesus and the gospel. And sure, he was probably annoyed, but it also talked about he was grieved at her condition. And I think about being harassed and helpless what Jesus says about us being harassed and helpless and we don't know any better. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, he said on the cross. I think about right here that not only was he annoyed, but he was grieved. I'm sure Kelly felt grieved at my state of arrogance and my state of where I was. But he had vision and he was a true Christian and he never gave up. And so we see this going on in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. There was no way these guys were getting out, was there? I mean, they've been severely flogged, they were beaten, they were, they, they were dragged, they were thrown in prison, put in the inner cell, he was ordered not to let these guys escape, and then he even put their feet in stocks. I kind of think about what was that interaction like between this prison guard when he was putting their feet in stocks, had him on the inner cell. Only thing this guy was thinking about was don't let these guys escape. I wonder what their relationship, if there was some tension when they were doing that. Thinking Paul and Silas, they had to have been bleeding, they had to be in, in physical pain, obviously, but I wonder what that interaction was like between the two. And we know kind of what happens. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. That was the consequence for prisoners escaping your care there, right? If they would have escaped, then this, this prison guard, he, he, he would have earned death because of this. So he was obviously distraught. He was like, I'm not going to go into the hands of them. I'm going to take care of this myself. Paul shouted, verse 28, don't harm yourself. We're all right here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's an awesome question to hear. Not only is it an awesome question to hear, that's a really important question for you to ask yourself. What must I do to get right with God? And what must I do to grow in my relationship with God? What is it? Be humble and be hungry. 
You got to be humble and you got to be hungry. You got to be willing no matter what the circumstance to allow God to use you. We know that tough times come. We know that challenges come. We know that tragedies happen. They're going to happen. They have happened. They'll continue to happen. But through these tough times, God wants to use it. And I forget that. You forget that. We all forget that because we're very circumstantial in our flesh. And obviously, Paul and Silas are incredible examples of not giving into their circumstances and really singing hymns, praising God, doing whatever it is they needed to do to try to get the message out. The jailer hears it. The jailer loses them. The jailer is going to take his own life. The jailer is stopped because Paul says stop. And then he tells them. And then what happens? He's like, guys, man, I need what you have. How many people in your sphere of influence say that? I got to have what you have. And we know that if there is anything in us worthy of imitation, it's not because you're great and awesome. It's because God has transformed you and has done something great and awesome in your life. That's the life that's worthy of imitation. That's the life that we want to give away. That's the life that we want to shine so that people can come to know Him. And it's interesting, I want to dig in here, verse 31. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. So what did Paul and Silas respond? How'd they respond to this question? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. So let's dig into that. What does that mean? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Well, obviously, when you start with belief, then obviously we understand that there has to be an amount of faith involved. Because Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we know that it's our faith that saves us through baptism. Romans 6, we know that. We've studied that out. If you haven't, dig into it. We know faith is essential. The Bible says you're saved by your faith. It's essential. And they understood that. He said, you've got to believe in the Lord Jesus. Don't just believe in Jesus. He's got to be Lord of your life. He's got to be Lord of your finances. I heard a lecture. Has your money been baptized it's a good question. It's a good thought to think about. What about your actions? What about your emotions? Everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is. That's what a disciple is. It's a student of Jesus. So he starts off. It's basic. There's got to be faith. There's got to be Lordship, guys. Verse 32, he says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. You mean there's more to it than just believing? Well, the scripture says that then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the household. Hmm. So faith, lordship, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. What was he doing? Well, remember that interaction? Remember what it perhaps was like? I don't think that it was warm and fuzzies, if you will, when he's putting them in stocks and they're bleeding. I don't think that the jailer was showing a whole lot of compassion. I don't know. It wasn't there. I'm just assuming that it wasn't a great interaction. I'm sure Paul and Silas were not being combative. But the jailer had one mission. But yet, he washed their wounds. You know what I, I believe? And I studied it out. Repentance. 
When your faith is in Jesus, and when Jesus becomes Lord, repentance happens. See, repentance is when, when your heart and your mind get off of yourself and they get onto Jesus and they get onto the Word of God and they get onto heavenly things. Then your actions change. They completely change. The action itself isn't repentance. It's what's going on inside of your heart. It's what's going on in your mind and it's influenced by Jesus, by the Word of God. Faith, Lordship, repentance. What else is in the Word of the Lord or the Word of God that He spoke to them? Well, let's see. What they do next? Immediately, He and all His household were baptized. Is it safe to say that the Word of the Lord involved baptism? Absolutely. Faith, Lordship, repentance, baptism. Right there. And the jailer was humble and he was hungry. Hungry, show me what to do. He obeyed. I'm in. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. My heart's in it. And then it said the jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Joy, a servant-like lifestyle, a servant lifestyle, not even servant-like, it's a servant lifestyle, hospitality, all of this followed, all of this followed the joy that came when his heart was converted and he gave it all up and he surrendered it to God. What does it mean to be humble and hungry? I believe it means to be surrendered completely to God. To be teachable and moldable. It's up to me to get my heart in a position to be teachable and moldable. I don't have it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. None of us in human brains have anything all figured out. Matter of fact, the older you get, the more you realize you don't have anything figured out. So the more humble we should become, the older we get in the Lord. But we got to put ourselves in a position to be taught. It's not thinking less of oneself. That's not what humility is. To think less of yourself, it is actually to think about yourself less. And we got to be ready and willing to do that. I think that being humble and being hungry is coming in and living a lifestyle of, of a producer within the church and within our communities, not just a consumer. It's to come in, you got to come in ready to give. And, get, and believe you me, I don't feel that way each and every time I walk through the doors, each and every time I walk outside my doors. I don't feel like being a producer. I want to be a consumer most of the time. It's what I want. It's my flesh. I got to fight against it. That's why the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Then you can test and approve God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's up to you and it's up to me to strive after and to be hungry for God so He can continue to work on us and through us. The title's Humble and Hungry. Paul demonstrated that. Silas demonstrated that. Lydia demonstrated that. The jailer demonstrated that. How about you and how about me? How about we go demonstrate that? I appreciate God first. Tommy mentioned that in a communion a few weeks ago. I've been thinking about that every time I eat. God first. He said every time you eat, just think God first. God first. Why? And poor, and I ask you to think, am I being humble? Am I being hungry for the Word of God? Each and every day, putting ourselves in that position. We're just about done. We're going to go, we're going to go get inspired in Philippians chapter 3. Because you're going to hear a lot of Philippians this month. And so we try to give you the precursor to that. And to see that 
Faith, lordship, repentance, baptism. That's what the Lord, the word of the Lord's all about. And then we see in Philippians 3, we see Paul. And we see his heart. And I'm not even close to Philippians 3. Chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's strive to be humble. Let's strive to be hungry. Let's follow Jesus Christ to our dying day. Thank you.